coming up on this episode of Harmless. I would abuse my body running to get the angst out of me from seeing that stuff. When I walked into the psychologist's office, she said, I knew it was PTSD. You had that thousand yard stare. Talk to your supervisor, tell him, hey, I'm having issues with this. You can have that private meeting with them. They're gonna understand this is severe. This is gonna be a tough position to be in. You are going to see images depicting sexual exploitation of a minor. If you get an image that really affects you because it's so horrific, it's okay to talk to somebody. Departments are, are starting to realize there are issues that go deeper than just rub some dirt on it. We encourage you to get help when you need to. Think about how you can extend out the life of an investigator. Welcome to Harmless the Podcast. My name's Eric Oldenburg. This is the third and final part of David's story. In this part of the conversation, we focus on understanding PTSD and discuss the changes that could be made in law enforcement to better support members facing this kind of trauma doing this type of work. We also talk about the importance of psychological support and changes needed in workflows and the crucial aspect of involving family in mental wellness and support. I give you my good friend David's story, part three, The Hope. In internet crimes, we had people that went, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to do these cases. They look at the first one, I can't do this. For some people, the first time you look at it, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I remember my very first image. I remember where I was sitting. I remember seeing it popping up on the screen. I can see it in front of me right now. It sticks with you. It does. For some people, that is enough for them to go, nope. There's nothing wrong with that. There is not any amount of shame in saying, I can't do this. Everybody has a different threshold of what they can handle. So when you get to that threshold, that's when you have to call it. The longer I've been away, the better I feel about what I did. Having been gone for years, I look back and I go, that was fantastic work I did. And I, I'm proud of it. You should be. And I'm glad that I did it. I look back and I see some of the, the terms we got, some of the people we put away. I no longer feel that failureism. I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel that I let everything down. I feel that I did my job for my time. Now I let somebody else go in. Nobody ever in a million years, even the second after you left, nobody would ever consider you a failure. I had those same thoughts. The only person that considers you a failure is you. Right. I'm glad you're at a point now where you can look back and say, you know what? I wasn't a failure because that can stick with you. You, you feel that letdown. You felt like a failure also. We all do when we have to stop doing something that we're good at and we know has a huge impact. We all feel that we're letting somebody down. Chris asked that question for a very simple reason. He was worried he was the only one that felt that way. It's a natural reaction. I told him the same thing I was told. Everybody feels that way. Yes, you feel like a failure when you first leave because you're letting down all these people that counted on you, the kids that have no voice, you're letting them down. You're letting down the, the office. You're letting down everybody else. 
Now somebody has to come in that doesn't know the job and they have to learn it. It's going to take them a long time to be at the point where you were. I said, you will feel like a failure, but the longer you're away from it, the more you realize you're not a failure. You get hired to do a job. You do the job for the time that you're there. When you're done, you leave. Somebody else comes in. It's the natural rotation. It's the cycle that has to happen. You have to get to terms with that. It's time for the next person to step in and take over. You did your time. Think of all the things you've done. Realize that you did the good you needed to do. My psychologist beat it into my head. Almost every day, she would tell me, you did your time. You did the work. Give it up. Let go. Let somebody else do it. We just have to realize, as a type A personality, we hate giving up control. But now it's time to give up that side of it. We all will feel that. It's going to start that way. It will fade if you understand. You did your time. You did your good. I think there's a correlation between how big of a failure you think you are, how passionate you were, and how hard you worked. You can do something that nobody else can do that a very small segment of people can do and can do as well as you. Chris and I don't get along. We haven't ever really gotten along, but I have nothing but respect for him. And he was amazing at his job. His work ethic was impeccable. We just had similar personalities. <laughs> I had nothing but respect for him. To hear that both of you had that same thought, it's a letdown. It speaks to your passion and confidence in your job. Give me any investigation, I'm gonna solve it. I'm gonna take care of it. It's gonna be done correctly. When I leave, Someone else is going to do it. So it's a big letdown. The case isn't going to be as good or whatever. After you left, we completely changed our workflow. We completely changed it. We changed from an investigative unit that would submit all of their uh, computer equipment that was seized during the investigation to a forensic examiner. The forensic examiner would then find all the data and evidence within the computer, author a report, give it back to the investigator. We have six or eight detectives all giving one guy case after case after case, just dump, 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 dump. That was the old workflow. I remember we had a unit meeting, something unrelated. Dave Haddad had been assigned to the unit, and we had just lost you. I stood up and said, we need to do something. We need a change. We need mental health providers. I don't want what happened to Dave to happen to David Haddad. Something had to change. So we stopped. We said, hey, we can't let this happen. We cannot let anybody down because we let you down. Everybody let you down. The entire Crimes Against Children community let you down. The software providers let you down. Your peers let you down. The supervisors. In my opinion, everybody let you down. We said, now we're going to have the investigators start looking at the material. The thing that that did is it reduced everybody's exposure. Right. The forensic examiners process a case, and then they would call me. Eric, your case is ready to go through. So now I'm exposed as an investigator to my case. My partner is exposed to his cases. It's not one guy getting exposed to all of these cases over and over and over. If you divert that and the investigator is now doing it, you've just cut by 30, 50, 80% what they're having to look at, depending on how big the apartment is. With me, it was four or six times the exposure rate because I had four or six detectives shooting their cases into me. We started using software designed specifically for analyzing pictures and videos. All the major forensic tools now are reporting that now they have technology and features built into their tool to help reduce officer exposure. 
you had a butter knife and you were trying to cut through a six inch thick steak and there was a scalpel. A scalpel came along. You could have had that scalpel. Procedures need to be altered specifically to reduce exposure. We need to do everything we can to minimize how much we look at this material. Forensic examiners have a skill, a computer forensic skill. Looking at imagery and determining whether or not it's exploitive is not a forensic skill. It's not a computer forensic skill. You can train anybody to do that. Right. Let the forensic experts do forensic work. Let them crack the encrypted volumes. Let them find the stuff buried in unallocated space. Let them do all that really cool stuff. Right. Why are we throwing all this material at them to do our job? Unfortunately, the culture back then was, I don't want to say anything because something could be going on, but we're just not going to address it. We're going to pretend it's not happening. Departments are, are starting to realize that there are issues that go deeper than oh, just rub some dirt on it and we'll see you later. Slowly, people are starting to understand what happened. The pendulum is, is moving because, like you said, we're talking more about it and we're getting it out into the public. Then a lot of the things you say, I can totally relate with because I've been down that path, not nearly as deep as your path, simply because I just, I didn't have the work ethic you had. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I, I didn't, but I didn't have to look at cases from eight different people. The culture is shifting, which needed to shift. And this is how it happens. We start exposing what was going on. Look at the changes that Phoenix Police Department has with their dispatchers. They now have a quiet room. They realize even dispatchers are going through a lot. They hear people screaming on the other end of the phone when they're on an officer-involved shooting. When they finish, their adrenaline has been pumping. They need something to help them unwind. There are certain details where this kind of thing is more important. Homicide, this could actually be important for homicide-type detectives. Some of those scenes, we've been on some of those homicide scenes that are just horrific, where you're going, what the heck is this? When you go out and you see something gruesome, they should have the same or similar setup there too. So this isn't just for internet crimes and things like that, although it's highly, highly, highly important for that detail. There are other ones that could benefit from this kind of things. Part of the culture was the fear. I don't want to say anything about Dave. If I say something or if he says something or I tell my boss this makes me sad, they're going to flush me out of the unit prematurely. It's a juggling match because if you acknowledge the problem, you also have to incur the liability. Give me a suggestion to how do we solve that problem? People in those holes buried along with you? How do you see through into the other hole? She's broken, but I can't see that she's broken. I'm broken, but I don't want her to know I'm broken. How do we fix that? One, realize what's going on. Two, be open about it. Three, take that step and get some help. That first step of introspection, being able to open up. For it to be okay for me to tell you, man, I'm having a rough day. To understand that there's another person that's buried underground just like me, under this weight of everything is take those steps. City of Phoenix, one of the great things they have is that employee assistance unit. Contact them and get the help. Other departments may have something similar. Hopefully they do. Talk to your supervisor. Hey, I'm having issues with this. You can have that private meeting with them. If they're a decent supervisor, they're going to understand as a supervisor looking, if you're at this high level, you need to realize 
hey, this isn't just these guys, but think about how I can apply this to other people. I can apply it over here and I can apply it over there. I could apply it over here too. Think about how much happier your employees are. And when your detectives and your staff are happy, think how more productive they are. They're more willing to do things above and beyond because now they're happy. When you have morale and people don't feel that they're a number. One of the things I hated way back in the patrol days is when we'd have a big scene somewhere and the supervisor would get on the radio and say, we need six bodies out here, meaning patrol officers to stand the perimeter or whatever. And I used to hate the fact that they just called us bodies. I would make a joke like, I'm a human being, I'm a person. But I really think that the culture needs to shift to the point where the supervisors, the departments, everybody realizes that these are human beings behind this. It's not a body. It's not a position number. It is a human being that is going through all this. Just to feel that the department is treating you like a human by making sure you're being taken care of mentally. That really tells what their position is. It tells you that they care about you as a person. It would make you feel they understand me. I think that's hugely important. I want to stress one of the most important things that never gets addressed is family. Offer that to the families. Not only do we need to help our detectives, but if we help their family, now you're really extending the life because they have a better understanding of what's going on, even at home. If you have support at work and at home, think about how much better you're at. At least once a year, have an event, invite the families the significant others, whatever, at that event, have a breakout session with just the significant others. And you tell them, here's what you need to be watching for. Here's the warning signs. Here's how you can get your significant others help. Here's the steps you can take. Call us, let us know. We will take the steps to try and get them help. Who better to see what's going on at a personal level than the significant others, the families, they see that. Say you have a single guy and have his parents come, have his friends, his brothers, sisters, whatever. These spouses, these families are putting up with us after we've had to deal with horrific things. Tell them, here's some of the things you should be looking for. Irritability, increased alcohol use, things Lack of sleep, startle out of dreams, overreaction to surprises. We are not friendly at that point. We are not good to be around. When I went in to see the psychologist, she asked me, do you overreact to surprises? I said, nothing surprises me. She goes, no, I mean, when you do get surprised. I said, no, you don't understand. I don't get surprised. She goes, well, that's a problem. That means you're hyper alert all the time. You can't be in that state. A spouse or significant other can see that. Not only that, but also offer them the help. They're putting up with stuff from us that we don't see because we're so so buried underneath everything. We can't get our head up enough to see this is affecting my family this way. Offer it to all of them. Not only should you be looking for these things for your spouse or your significant other, you yourself are probably going through, and here's some things that, that you might be feeling. If you're feeling or experiencing these things, we want to give you help. This is how you can have your help too. I think that was a critical thing that most everybody misses. When I walked into the psychologist's office, she said, I knew it was PTSD. You had that look. You had that thousand yard stare. My spouse now, she's also gone through some traumatic events. She has an understanding of what that causes. She has an understanding of PTSD. 
she said, when are you going to tell me? I know there's stuff you're not telling me about this. My response was, I don't know if I ever will. It's not something that can be easily discussed. I'm fairly open. I'll tell her what it did and what I had to do to get past it. But you can't really talk about the rest of it. She just wishes she could understand what caused that part of it. She would like to know more of, so when you talk about these pictures and videos, what do you really mean? That part is always going to be the missing part, but that understanding helps a lot. When you have somebody that doesn't understand all of those aspects, the psychological impact, it can cause a divide, especially when they're at the point where I, I really don't even want to know. I haven't been through a bombing, but I can understand how the people there are being affected afterward, that they're, they're seeing those images afterwards. They, they're having to deal with an event that doesn't get categorized in a normal fashion in your brain. It helps when you have somebody else that can do that. Somebody that has been through an event. A lot of people don't want, I don't want, don't talk to me about that. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. To have someone that says, no, tell me. It really shows they care and they're appreciative of what you've done and what you've gone through. You have somebody that understands and wants to be a part of it. A newly assigned detective, day one, what do you think they should be taught? What do you think they should be told? How do you think they should be mentored knowing what you know now? The best part is that the exposure rate is much lower now. They're not going to get the exposure that I had, which is a fantastic thing. They need to be told from the beginning before they even come over. This is going to be a tough position to be in. You're going to have issues with it. And that's normal. When we did the oral boards for computer forensic examiners, one of the questions we asked was, part of our job is you are going to see images depicting the sexual exploitation of a minor. Are you aware of this and are you okay with it? I remember clearly we had somebody that came in and said, nope and no. Were you ever asked that on the oral no. board? I wasn't either. No, I, I was no. never asked that when I became a computer forensic examiner. Again, not the department's fault. No. It was a different culture back then. The questions were all technically related, right? Right. And came out and said, hey, what are some questions we should ask on the oral board? And I, you and I, I think, were the ones that said we need to ask that question. Yeah. yeah being open and honest about what people are going to see. Both of us mentioned that, hey, we got to make sure that people know that they're going to have to see this. Absolutely. Because we don't want them coming in and being surprised. You don't put a guy in a demolition derby car and say, it's just a race around the track, right? right. That's what's happening. It's That's not what's going to be going on. You're going to get smashed into. And we need to start telling people this is a demolition derby. What we encourage you to do is... Get help when you need to. If you need to talk to somebody, here's all of the paths that we have. I think in the beginning, that's part of the mentoring program. It's okay to talk to people when this bothers you. If you get a, an image that really affects you for whatever reason, that looks like your niece, nephew, your child, just because it's so horrific to you, it's okay to talk to somebody. It's okay to contact employee assistance and get help. 
that should be part of the mentoring program, that mental health aspect of it. It should be what they get told. Is there anything that could have been done by the department, by yourself, so that you didn't end up at a point where you said, I have to leave this very second? I think there's a lot of steps that could be taken by the investigator. When I needed help, I actually had to try and figure out how to get in touch with people. Right now, in order to get psychological help, they have to take the first step. You know, the investigator, I had to take the first step to, when people are doing these kinds of cases, the ICAC detectives, the computer forensic examiners, I even think that this should go on to the people investigating the hands-on offenses. If we even had somebody right there that was, I'm gonna go talk to Joe, because Joe is our therapist for this kind of stuff. Right. I'm calling Joe, I'm gonna go talk to him, because man, this one, it really affected me. If you have it set up where, hey, you know what, Eric, we noticed that you're having some issues, we see it, we think you need a break, so we're gonna send you on a one-week temp. Where would you like to temp? To give you a week away from this, you're not away from work. We're just saying you need a break from this for a week. If we can just do simple things like that where people can get away and then come back and be refreshed. Well, you could, as a supervisor, say, take the rest of the week off, go do something fun, enjoy getting away. And it's not gonna cost you any time, it's not gonna affect you, it's not gonna affect your vacations. I just think it'd be healthy for you to get away for a couple of days or a day or whatever it is. That's a powerful tool. If you made it mandatory that we had to go once a year, every six months or something, we would bitch and complain. We will bitch and complain, but if we have to do it, we'll go. When they get there, there is a high possibility they will open up about what's going on. Absolutely. He likes to sit in uncomfortable silence. If you sit in a room with another person, no matter who that person is, at some point you're going to start talking. Dave, it's your turn to go and talk. So you get two hours that you're going to go talk to them. You bitch and complain in front of everybody. Oh God, I can't believe I have to do this. I can be like that. But then when I get there, I can finally get off my chest what's going on. That's a culture that needs to change as well. The supervisors need to understand that just because I say this hurts or this is bothering me doesn't mean I am done, I can't do this anymore. There should be a much more developed plan for psychological help that they can get. 14, 15 years ago, that wasn't the accepted method. If we can have that in place, Think about how you can extend the life of an investigator. They can deal with that appropriately early on. That snowball effect's not happening. They're not destroying that big boulder by having it hammered and never having it repaired. Mentor them into that program and have it as a cultural norm that's acceptable. You will really help out your people. Right now we get 12 sessions that are covered and then you go to your insurance copay if, if you have something. I think they need to change that for people doing these kinds of cases. If you need to go once a week, twice a month, whatever it is, that you can do that as long as you stay doing those cases. They just cover it. This is a special grant or whatever it is. We're gonna take care of you, make sure that you can continue. Make it as easy as possible for them to get help as a supervisor. If you can realize that you can extend the life of your detectives this way, you can extend that time by just giving them that option to get help early. There's a more reward at the end if you look at it long term.
there's other things that can be done. Working out. When you see these traumatic things, your body has a reaction. Part of that reaction is you have all these hormones dumped into your system and you have to do something with those. Let these people work out on duty because that helped. I think one of the reasons I was able to go as long as I did was because I worked out regularly. I would go and I would run and honestly, I would abuse my body running to get the angst out of me from seeing that stuff. You have to do something because those hormones that get dumped into your system, they'll eat you up literally from the inside. Working out, I think is important. Regular breaks during the day. I was not good at taking breaks. No, you weren't. I sucked at it. I worked because I, I, I was just trying to get it done, trying to keep the case backlog under control. I was bad at it. On top of it, just small events for the squad. Hey, you know, today we're blown off today. Once a quarter, just say, you know what? We're not working today. We're going to the bowling alley. We're going to go bowling. We're doing something else. Get them out. Just get them a little time away. You have to let things like that happen. And you actually have to plan it and do it. Do you think if we had the understanding back uh, when you and I did this job, when we started, if the culture was different, do you think you'd be in the position you're in today? I think it would have definitely extended my life doing this stuff. If we had changed the workflow back then, if we had the steps in place, somebody to talk to, ways to, to deal with this, it would have had a major impact on where I am right now. I think I would have been in a much better place. And I think I would have definitely done that a lot longer because I really enjoyed the work. It's intellectually stimulating. You have all the aspects that you enjoy. You're helping people a lot. You're doing very important work. You're doing very complex stuff that is fun to, to try and, and figure out. It's always evolving. Technology is always changing. There was always that aspect of there's something new to learn. There's more stuff to do. It was great in all those aspects. The only part that was bad was what you had to, to view and deal with. If you had everything in place that we have now and the stuff that's still evolving and coming into play, I think, one, the department would have benefited by having me doing it much longer. Um, and two, I don't think I would have had near the stuff that I've been through on a personal level, the aspects of how it affected my kids with not being able to go see school things. It would have impacted not just me, but my family, all the people around me. It really would have been a, a very positive thing if we had all this stuff in place. Fortunately, a lot of departments can't look at long-term. That's part of the stuff that has to change. So you have to be able to say, can't put a number on this. That's what we're going to have to invest so we can have a benefit. We just can't tell you what that is monetarily, but we can tell you from overall, there is a huge benefit that if, if we take these steps, if we help have these things in place. Introspection. Also, mentoring somebody to, to know that, hey, these are the things we can do. It, it, it's a really good program. If you're an upper-level person looking into this, you should be going, wow, think about how we can change this, how this changes everything. It's hugely important. And now it spreads. I can't thank you enough for being on this podcast and being willing to be open about what you've gone through. We're friends and I've known you since 1996. 
I hate the fact that you're a cautionary tale, but man, you have changed the world. Please don't ever minimize or take that away from yourself. You made the difference in some lives that didn't even know you made a difference. We wouldn't be on this path if people like you didn't sacrifice before us. We had to learn, unfortunately, the, the wrong way. Yes. I am now privileged enough that I get to travel around the world and teach people how to use software to minimize their exposure. And I tell your story every time I teach. David is not a position number. And that's why I specifically asked to use your name when I would teach. Right. Because you're a person. It's not just, hey, I got a story about some nameless, faceless guy that happened, blah, blah, blah. When I tell that story, your story, I can't begin to express to you how much positive feedback I get and thanks I get for telling people. Glad you approached me years ago to say, hey, can I share your story? I said it then, I'll say it now. I, if my story can help somebody, it's important for them to know. And although I had to go through it, I'm glad that it's helping others and I hope it continues to, to that end. I really think this has been extremely helpful. You have given me my passion and I am now running with it. Fortunately, it was at the cost of what happened to you. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I encourage you to continue sharing and I'm glad that you have used this as a tool to motivate and inspire only you but others. So hope it continues and I hope things continue to change and there's a lot of positive that comes out of it. Cheers everyone and thank you very much for taking the time to listen to Dave's unbelievably compelling story. It is no wonder that my passion for helping others grew from his sacrifice. So thank you again David. I really appreciate you and what you've done. Because this interview took place in 2019, I'm sure you were wondering how David is doing today. Well, I was fortunate enough to interview David at the end of December 2023, and I will be sharing his story with you in a future episode, so look for that coming soon. And in the meantime, I'm really excited to share some stories of other people working in this field and how this job impacts each one of them. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe to listen to future episodes. And most importantly, if you know somebody who needs to hear this, do not hesitate to get it to them. That is who this podcast is for. A huge thank you yet again to David and his absolute unwavering vulnerability and caring for his fellow man in telling this very, very private, very, very sensitive story. This podcast is all about stories, stories from human beings. One of the most mentally taxing and emotionally draining jobs a human being could possibly do. This podcast could not be possible without not only David and his vulnerability, but also all of my guests' willingness to discuss such a private matter. In David's story, you heard him speak several times about SHIFT, which is the Supporting Heroes in Foundational Mental Health Training. SHIFT is run by the Innocent Justice Foundation. It is one of their projects. 
In the next episode of Harmless, I'm going to talk to Beth Medina, the CEO of the Innocent Justice Foundation, so you can see exactly how this organization was born and the incredible support that they are giving to people doing this job every single day. Look for new episodes every other Tuesday, only on Harmless the Podcast. Thank you for listening. Coming up on the next episode of Harmless, a really good blip with Beth Medina. I think it's the worst thing to deny that you are having any sort of emotion or feeling about it. Because if we suppress all of that, it doesn't mean it's not happening. We're just suppressing it. Can you imagine what would happen if every person who did ICAC or child-related crimes just stopped? The material did them in, the work just did them in. How many children would we lose to this? That's the importance of empathy and that in the moment, it's digging deep in yourself and connecting to that emotion of what it may be like to be in a dark place and feel alone. Are you going to be able to bounce back from it? Are you gonna be able to bounce back and not lose your family? Are you gonna be able to bounce back and not lose your job and your career because it takes you out at the knees? Our team at Shift, we are small, but we are mighty because we're there for everyone who's sitting in the class. That's what it's about. Not about, did I get slide 13 over to everybody? It's about that human connection. We're here for a blip of time in the big picture. I want my blip to be a good blip. I want to leave the world better in whatever way I can.